1: They have planned and are now leading us into a one-world communist government. Welcome, useless eaters, to the Odd Man Out podcast, where we talk about hidden history, deep political policy, occult deconstruction, economics, religion, and philosophy. I'm your rabbit hole aficionado, the Odd Man. Welcome. Hey guys. I have a great guest this week I'm really excited about. I got to talk to him a few weeks ago, and he had such a great perspective. Uh, I've listened to at least a half dozen of his podcasts, maybe more, and and he speaks so well, so well-researched, and uh, he really knows his stuff. And so it's always an honor to talk to other people like that. And uh, he's also another Southern guy like me, so it's great, it's great to talk to people uh, from the South that are actually uh, woke, and not diet woke, but real woke, and, and <laughs> kind of <laughs> into some of the same things that, uh, so that, that I'm into. So without uh, any further ado, uh, I want to introduce Joshua from Our Foundations podcast, and, and some of you guys might be familiar with him. So hello, Joshua
0: hello thank you very much for having me on and thank you for the the warm greeting and the praises
1: <laughs> oh you're very welcome man i mean it um you know it's you know you're so well spoken and and that means a lot in podcasting you know a lot of people take that for granted of course i'm sure that you know there are tons of podcasts where the speakers are horrible and, and do pretty well there are but <laughs> <laughs> but uh and i'm not a great speaker by any means but uh that means a lot and it, it really uh, the way you do your show is so professional and uh, it's 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 a joy to listen to and um, I think a lot of people could take that cue from you and <laughs> with your production and the way you handle it so very cool
0: yeah thank you very much that's something I didn't necessarily have any experience doing when I started and so all of it was kind of learning as I went and that was always my goal but uh, it's nice to hear that it actually comes across the way I want it to and sounds good and has good production value and that people are getting a lot out of it. That's very encouraging.
1: Yeah, man. and um, so I know we have a couple of subjects to talk about, but uh, would you mind telling us a little bit about like how you got into podcasting? Like was there, you know a couple of things or one thing in particular that made you say, i I've just got to do this. I've got to express myself in this fashion.
0: Yeah, yeah. It uh, Okay, so I guess it started with uh, the current job that I have. I got it maybe seven or eight years ago or so. And around the same time, I started getting into investing in the stock market. And so with the job I got, I basically am able to listen to audio content on headphones pretty much all day long. And so I was listening to five or six hours a day of uh, mostly invest investing related things stocks and that kind of stuff but as i got into that i realized that I didn't really know a whole lot about economics and I also didn't know a whole lot about how the world worked and what was going on in the world and even just general news and so that kind of carried me into so many different subjects and I got into Austrian economics and history and libertarianism and that really hit home with me. Uh, Also got into cryptocurrency and really loved that and so I had all of these different things, all these different subjects that I was studying and researching and listening to. And I'm sure you can imagine that if you're listening to maybe a low average of five hours a day worth of content, five days a week, that's that's a lot of content over the period of, let's say, two years into this when I really realized that I I knew a lot about all of these things now. And I was <laughs> pretty well educated in these areas and I knew that I still wasn't there, and I don't know if you ever get there where you know it all, that kind of thing, but but I at least knew a lot more than most people I was interacting with, and I kind of realized that. Um, I didn't really realize. I, I knew that I didn't know much about these things, but I guess I kind of figured that a lot of people do know more than I did, um, but I realized that at that point, I was really going deep into these subjects that most people weren't really aware of. And so I thought about presenting that in some way. I thought about how with everything that I was doing in my own research, I was having to draw from all these different sources from... Audiobooks to podcasts and one specifically on cryptocurrencies. And even then, it'd have to be general blockchain or Bitcoin or this one project or whatever. And uh, the economics ones were separate, and Austrian economics was separate than mainstream economics, and news was separate than kind of alternative news. And all these things were so segmented, nothing brought it all together. And I was also uh, started our family at that point in time. So I had at least one kid, we might have had our second kid by then. And uh, my wife and I decided we were going to get into homeschooling. And that was also something I didn't know much about. And so researching that and then that tied in with the history of the education system and corruption and conspiracies and all that kind of stuff. (laughs) And uh, I just realized that there's all this stuff out there. I know a good bit about a lot of it. It's very important that people know these things. They're very important to just our lives and the way the world works. But there didn't really seem to be a good source that brought all that stuff together and educated you in a way that wasn't like sitting down for 20 or 30 hours of content at one time. And so the, the closest I could find was the Peace Revolution podcast by Richard Grove, And that was a really good one. But some of those episodes, they were, I mean, they were four or five hours long. The later episodes were like 15 hours long. And (laughs) that's not realistic. People can't do that. And so um, I I decided to do my own thing. I was going to start off with pamphlets, actually. And I was going to, I thought about writing a book and I was like, well, I'll just write it in sections. I'll release them as pamphlets and maybe people will pay ahead of time and I can sell those and then, you know, compile it to a book at the end. And then I thought about it and I was like, well, I listen to podcasts all the time. That, that shouldn't be too difficult to do. And maybe I'll do a podcast that goes along with it where I can talk about the content. And that morphed into deciding to just do a podcast and not write anything. And that was the origin of the podcast.
1: Oh, very cool. Very cool. Yeah, that's, that's a great story. Um, yeah, man, it's like, it's so refreshing. Like there are, really are a lot of people that, that crave knowledge now and, and want to know what, what's real, you know, what's our real history and how the, how does the world really work? And um, the way you present everything is so concise and clear that uh, I think it's a real benefit to people. And I'm, I'm like, a, I love history and I love suppressed history and, you know, and, and stuff that's kind of conspiratorial as far as, you know, like the fed and how that was created and, and how the, you know, the, the, globalists how they actually work you know they're kind of a cadre of different institutions and stuff like that and uh, i think that's just fascinating because it really is the it's the real deal it's the way things really really operate and so uh it's just refreshing to to find a good show because like what how i found your show i was it was last year i think and i was probably maybe on my 25th episode or something like that and I had been studying the the whole roads Roundtables tables and the, what became of you know the council on foreign relations and all that good stuff yeah. and uh, I was trying to find more stuff about it like I have you know I, well now I have probably like a dozen books about it but like yeah. at the time you know I had like maybe four or five uh, but I, I was like I would love to because I, I was still driving a lot for my job and I was like I've got to find, I know somebody has done a podcast that explains this stuff and that's how I found yours. And of course, Corbett's, you know, Corbett report has talked about stuff like that too. And um, so it was just a, it was a great, uh, a great find. And uh, I know that there's other people out there that want to hear, you know, this history, not just this, like, like we're in this world where it's like, you know, it's kind of lowbrow. you know, we've been dumbed down as, you know, john taylor got open said and in and they just want to hear opinion but to actually hear real history that's you know it's easily referenced if one has the will to you know to look into it yeah i think it's great yeah
0: you mentioned um corbett and the corbett report that's one that i also reference a lot and i've listened to a lot of his content he's got great stuff and i would say that that's kind of more the model like if you meshed his Corbett report with maybe uh, Richard Grove's depth and connections um, and mesh that together in a form that was more chronological. That was kind of my goal because like Corbett, for example, he's done content on all of these types of subjects and done a very good job at presenting it and linking to all the source documents and all this stuff. You can learn a whole lot from there. But you can't just go to the beginning of his podcasts and listen in a row to the whole story of how we got from the beginning to now that just doesn't exist and you know maybe it'd be great if someone made a playlist that actually did that i'm sure you probably could if you took enough time to go through it all but that's kind of what i wanted to do with season one of my show is just take it from like how did governments start how did money first start getting used how did banks start How did um, people educate themselves before you had the modern societies? How did this happen? And then how did it get to the corrupted state that it was, let's say, in modern history? And then how did it get from there to where we are today? And what are some of these underlying problems? And then what are the alternatives and what's being done about this now? And that's kind of the story that I lay out for season one from episode one to the end of the first season, and it really culminates in a subject that you wanted to talk about today, agorism. And that's something where basically it takes a lot of that philosophy and a lot of those conclusions and a lot of those problems and takes it and puts it into a way that you can actually enact it in your own life and see some tangible and practical ways of implementing these things. And so that's just really cool. I really liked how uh, I didn't even know what agorism was when I started the podcast. And so it's a learning experience for me too. And I really liked how that wrapped up and that takes us to a place that, um, especially in today's age with current events going on, I think is is very important to have some practical, useful knowledge and to actually start applying these things instead of only diving into all the research and learning all this stuff and you know all that's important but if you don't do anything with it you're missing out on kind of the whole point and so that's that's kind of where i'm going now and that's that's what i think is very important and often missing in these types of circles
1: i i think so too man absolutely and, and you inspired me because you know i i have gotten caught up in you know, I didn't really have like specific aims with my show, except for basically I've, I've, you know, been blogging on the Internet for like since the days of MySpace, to be honest with you. Nobody would listen, you know, so <laughs> they think I'm, I'm, I'm crazy to them and everything. But uh, some guy on uh, Instagram kept telling me you need to do a podcast because you got too much information. And it's, you know, Instagram is obviously not a good platform for, for that type of thing. No. And so I, I started it and, um, you know, and but I just like I go on whatever I'm reading at the time or into at the time. But I think the way you're doing it is 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 such a great uh, service to the public because, you know, nobody knows that. I mean, a very small percentage of people know the real history and uh, and look what you said about agorism and what we need to do now that all that stuff has happened and we are where we are. As a country and as a world what can we do to kind of combat that and so you got me to thinking about well you know we can do smaller things in our own personal lives in our own communities because we're not going to beat this globalist you know this you know these institutions and, and it's just too interconnected uh and we don't i don't i don't think we have a chance to beat them in at their own game but we can make a difference locally so Yeah, if you wouldn't mind, would you kind of uh, explain to the audience a little bit uh, more about agorism? Yeah,
0: yeah, I think that's a a great place to start. Uh, So agorism or agorism, it's pronounced both ways, depending on who's saying it. I say agorism just because it is derived from the Greek word agora. And that's kind of the root word behind it. The Agora was the meeting place where people would come and they would exchange ideas as well as exchange material goods, buy and sell things, talk about things, all this kind of stuff. And... Uh, This man, um, Samuel Edward Konkin III, a very grandiose name, he came up with this idea of agorism and he wrote the New Libertarian Manifesto as well as the, I think it's Anagorist Primer and might've had some other writings that he had, but he laid out this idea of agorism. And the idea was that it's basically like applied libertarianism. Some people describe it as radical libertarianism, it's all about operating outside of the system. So he's says, he says that the state is the problem. And we probably, all of your listeners, and you and I both know the many problems of the state and of the system, there, there are way too many to even number. And given that that is the case, what do we do about it? And his thoughts were to apply that in everyday life and use what he called counter-economics, where you're doing economic activity outside of the system. So you're doing things that are maybe unregulated, maybe untaxed, maybe um, off the grid, maybe the dark web would probably be a good example, but he talked a lot about using gray markets, which may or may not be illegal, or black markets, which definitely are illegal, But he made a key point that red markets are not allowed, off-limits. And red would be anything involving force, coercion, or violence. So anything from theft or murder obviously is wrong. But even some of the things the state does, something like collecting taxation, that is wrong, that is theft. And so the red markets were off-limits, but it's all about the gray and the black market. And it's about operating outside of the system. And he thought that if you can do this, then you're doing multiple things to fight the system. This is a way to fight the system. And you are defunding the state in a way because they're not getting the tax revenue from you and your purchases and the other people that are acting and living in this way. And so not only are you basically taking that money away from the state that they would have gotten otherwise, but you're also not supporting things like uh illegal or immoral wars and that's that's a pretty big deal especially if you want to avoid things like violence and immorality and your government is bombing innocent people on the other side of the world then not supporting that is probably something you're going to be on board with and so that's really the whole idea of agorism is how do you even though you live within the system you recognize that the system is corrupt how do you in some way operate outside of that system? And that's really the whole deal. And so for me, what this really comes down to is things like growing your own food. So if I have a garden and I grow my own food and maybe even I sell some of the extras or trade some of the extras with somebody else, well, the FDA is not coming in and inspecting any of that. I am not paying taxes on any of that if I do give some away or barter or sell or whatever. And the food that I am getting myself, I'm not paying taxes at the store to buy some at the grocery store. And so there is this aspect of not paying taxes, not supporting the state financially in that way. But also, if there are any issues with the supply chain or with the system as a whole, or if the government wants to crack down on something and for some reason interrupts the ability for me to get what I want, then if I am supplying these things for myself, by myself, then that doesn't affect me at all. So I have this aspect of resiliency. And so that can go from everywhere from growing your own food and uh, maybe healthcare, like instead of relying on big pharma and being on all kinds of drugs and medications to, help with different issues that you may have, there are often a lot of natural ways of dealing with that and focusing on diet and health and supplementation and these kinds of things, more than natural remedies, that is a way to operate outside of the system in a way. And same with food, like not having GMO food sprayed with poisons and picked before it's even ripe so it doesn't even have a chance to grow the nutrients that it would have had otherwise. And it's a strain that's made for production that doesn't have the nutrient content anyway. And so there's all these problems with, with food. That, that's one of the biggest ones I think personally is food, uh, not to mention the fact that we need it to survive. So it's a pretty important thing. But beyond that, I mentioned health. You've got things like cryptocurrency using a financial system that's not part of the fiat monetary system controlled by central banks and all of the conspiratorial aspects that come with that. The crypto markets provide that opportunity. Blockchain in general provides that opportunity for things using alternative social media sites that are um, decentralized and that are not a part of big tech. There are plenty of issues with big tech. So operating outside of the system isn't just governmental, it would also be corporate. And so that oftentimes that line is very blurred, as you know, where the big tech, especially, but a lot of these big corporations, the mega corporations are just tied in so tightly with states and governments around the world that it, it's really hard to tell them apart and they might as well be the same thing. And so to get away from that is another way, again, to operate outside of the system, even just with your with your data and with your tracking and all of these things that they collect from you, don't give them that. And so that these, this is a, a practical way of doing that. And Obviously, we can't do everything on our own. You can buy a 3D printer, but you're not going to 3D print everything you have in your house. It's not really possible. And so one of the other key things is to Focus on small businesses and staying away from the mega corporations and the large industrial supply chains, as well as trying to buy directly from local people. So, a good example of this that I have is uh, my family, we buy raw milk from a local dairy. And so we buy just directly from them. And uh, for all I know, they pay their taxes. But if they didn't want to, they wouldn't have to. That's on them and that's their choice. But the point is that that would be an option, but not only that, I am buying my milk directly. I know where it comes from. I can go to the dairy and inspect it myself if I want to. I am able to get raw milk, which you can't even buy in the store, a lot healthier for your body, as long as you trust the source. And I don't have these issues with the supply chain. So like when the coronavirus first hit and milk and bread were sold out at the local grocery stores, I was still just picking up my milk like i do every single week because they still have their cows and they're still producing milk and they still need to get rid of that and they still want money and so i didn't have any problems whatsoever i have chickens on our property we have two acres and we've kind of developed a nice little homestead over the past few years and so we got eggs and i could just go out to the coop get eggs the grocery store didn't have any eggs whatsoever I had eggs in my backyard. And so this idea of resilience, I think, is is very key. It's not just being self-reliant, even though some people go there. It's not just self-sufficiency. It's not just uh, not participating and not supporting the system. But it's this idea of, of being resilient to whatever comes our way, because things will come our way. And especially with the way the world is changing right now and everything since COVID hit and just all of the potential that is built up and that will probably be hitting us very soon, uh, it's, it's very wise, I believe, to take some action and take some of these precautions and build up resilience ourselves, so that when and if, and I would say it's much more of a when than an if, when things start to go downhill or when they start to affect us personally, when they say you can't go to this place or you can't work at this job without getting a vaccine. And let's say you will not get the vaccine. Well, that becomes a problem. It doesn't matter if the government mandates it or not. If you are not going to do it and you're not allowed to work at your job anymore, you got a major problem there. And there's a lot of other things like that where if you have some backups, if you have a side gig going on, if you are growing some of your own food, if you're supplying some of your own things, if you have a lot of local connections with local people that are like-minded that can help you out, this is what builds that resilience. And that's what I believe is needed. I agree with you that we're not going to be able to fight the... Globalist agenda, whatever you want to call it, the New World Order, the Great Reset, whatever, that is happening. And that's part of a societal trend that's going on that it really doesn't matter who individually is involved in what we do, and a direct fight is not going to work. And that's where I would draw from the biblical example of the kingdom of God, especially. Think about if the early church, where it was maybe a few hundred people at the most, when Jesus was still going around preaching, what if they, recognizing that Rome was completely corrupt and immoral and anti-biblical, what if they decided to go against Rome and fight against Rome and rebel, you know, what would happen? It, it would not have been pretty. They, they didn't have a chance, even if they wanted to, just practically... That's not a good option. And I would say as a matter of conscience, it's probably not a good moral option either to rebel in that violent fashion. And so whether you take the moral approach or whether you take the practical approach, I I think the same applies to us today. Storming the Capitol, even if you take the building and take all the congressmen and senators and president, whoever hostage, you're still not going to end the state. That that's not how that works. And it, it's a great idea in a way. Like the thought of it sounds good, I guess. But th- that's not the way this thing is going to play out. So I would say take a politics of obedience approach. If um, you know the reference of the book written, I think in the 1500s by a French author talking about this idea that the reason the government has power is because people give them power. And so what if the, let's say, millions of people in America just in unison, or at least a large portion of them said, no, I do not delegate any authority to the government. I do not recognize their authority. I am not going to have anything to do with them. What in the world could a government do? They can't do anything. They could start killing people, but that's going to make it even worse on them and turn more people against them. And so it's this idea of, the mass support that governments have just, and it's not just a specific government or a specific politician or party, it's this idea of statism. And if an entire society is statist, or 90% or more of them are, probably 99%, then that's just the way it's going to be. But if you start cracking into that and you start getting a movement of people that are not statist, that are maybe anarchist, libertarian, agorist, uh, all of these different branches, and it doesn't matter if it's left or right, if people are no longer giving that authority to the state, the state loses that authority. And so if, if there was going to be a fight against the state, I would say that that is the way that is the approach to take, and again, the Christian example, Christianity took over the Roman Empire and took over the world within a few centuries, and uh, there are plenty of issues with that and corruption that, that came involved in all this kind of stuff, but the point is that the model that they took at first and that they used in the beginning was one that was extremely effective, and it is this same model of Of agorism, but in a Christian way. And that's why I'm I'm kind of trying to define and draw out and coin this term Christian agorism because it's not one that I've been able to find much on, but it it just it's so they're so similar. The original Christian message and agorism are, in a sense, the exact same strategy. And the Christian aspect of that adds in the moral and spiritual part that agorism is missing, it's much more material. And so combining those together, combining this strategy and the general morality of not supporting the system and the practical benefits of that, along with the morality that comes from Christianity and Jesus's teachings, the early disciples, this original vein of Christianity, it, it really is this very potent combination that I think is one that we should be highlighting. We should be trying to draw out and expand on those ideas and trying to live them out ourselves. I think that's what we need to be working towards.
1: I think that's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, it, it, it just makes sense. It, it, there's so many benefits to it. Um, there's benefits personally uh, benefits to avoiding the state and avoiding these you know, large multinational corporations that are in bed with the state. Um, and, and as far as the Christian aspect, I totally agree with that. I, I, um, a few years ago, I read uh, Anarchy and Christianity by Jacques Ellul. And I, I was just like, wow, this guy was brilliant. Um, and, and, uh, you know, it was all about, you know, getting away from the state and, and, and really not having to adhere to Caesar's, you know, every whim and stuff like that. And uh, I think that's the only way to go to, to beat what we're up against. Um, and, you know, there's, there's just so many reasons why we should live like that. Um, and, and we know that, Most of the people are not. And if something bad goes down, like you said, probably inevitable, uh, probably be manufactured because they want us to be very dependent. And uh, and of course, the more they make us uh, dependent and uh, scare us, the more we're going to be obedient. But a lot of people, you know, the majority of people are not going to be self self-sufficient whatsoever. So it's just going to be pure chaos and fear. And, you know, I can only imagine. So I think that uh, I don't see any other way around kind of combating what uh, we're up against with the New World Order types. And and this I I keep calling it a global private public partnership. That seems like what they're going for, uh, you know, and that's kind of like a fancy term for fascism. But and I know it won't be like pure fascism because, you know, they'll give us a. Uh, you know, a, probably a universal basic income and they'll give us uh, some some benefits, maybe some medical benefits and whatnot, as long as we, you know, we obey and we do what we're supposed to. But if we start to speak out, you know, I mean, it's, it's kind of like in my mind, I'm already seeing how they're trying to uh, kind of lay out any dissent against the the state. Uh, is going to be considered dangerous and probably unlawful uh, before too long. So I think that uh, this is a fantastic idea. And um, I think it's a lot of people, uh, hopefully, that will listen to this will definitely look into it.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I agree. I think the censorship is a given. And that's something, I guess, to kind of tie into that. And what you're calling this uh, global private public partnership, public private partnership, and I totally agree with that. But um, to expand on that a little bit more, the idea of public private partnerships in a current global governance standpoint, uh, that's a lot of what's behind the sustainable development move and the move towards, uh, say, Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, the Great Reset, all of these types of things, uh, that's the main tool of most of those governance movements, we could say, is that you're using these private companies and mega corporations combined with governments and elected officials and nations and meshing them together in this way where you can basically govern is a nice way of saying it instead of rule, but that's what they're doing in in order to rule over everyone. And that's kind of the model. And uh, one that I've only recently been kind of fleshing out the idea for is that what's being created is a theocratic technocracy. And so the idea of technocracy goes back to, that's what uh, the censorship really made me think of it. Because if you go all the way back to Plato, Plato talked about how one of the most important things for controlling the masses is to control the ideas they're exposed to. You censor them. You don't let the people get exposed to these ideas of rebellion and of anti-authority movements, these kinds of things. And if they never even heard of those things, then a lot less likely to, to Rebel, and if all they hear is that you know government's great and these philosopher kings at the top are doing what's best for you, they're looking out for you, then they'll probably obey pretty well. That's a lot easier to manage, and I think that gets carried on. You get the the 1984 example is a very good one as well. Exact same thing where things are censored, things are changed. That's something that um, is definitely happening today there are articles, there are posts, there are things that people are going back and editing in real time and changing what was posted in the past. So you're changing the past in the present to match what the goal for the future is, and it's really screwed up, and it's really dystopian, and that's, that's the way 1984 laid it out. So it's also just really interesting and in how that works. And you've got this idea in 1984 of Newspeak, where you have this new language, and they're developing that within the time period that the book takes place. And the idea is that you're simplifying the language, you're bringing it down, um, and you have less words, and the words have tighter and more restricted meanings. So you're basically censoring ideas at the level of the language, which is a very interesting and brilliant way of approaching that, a good method there. But if you think about today, how we live in this culture of these small posts, these little tweets, these little Facebook posts or on Instagram, you post this tiny little article or even blogs, blogs would be much better, but that was kind of the beginning of phasing into this very short form of expressing ideas and having conversations. And then you're sending that out into the void, into the ether of the internet. And so you're not even having a conversation with any specific people and you're not having a substance substantive, I guess, um, a a message of substance, however we can say that, um, you're not even having that coming out of what you're saying because you're having to fit it into this tiny little format in this world of these tiny little posts on social media. And if you were to write a long article, hardly anyone's going to read it because This is the way people are in modern society and modern culture. And so by narrowing down and simplifying the communication, just like the idea of Newspeak, we are living in this 1984 world in a way. It's even like the move for emojis. Instead of telling somebody, yes, that sounds like a good idea, you give them a thumbs up. And yes, it kind of expresses the same idea, but it's doing it in a much more simplified way. And as people start using that in mass and regular conversation, their conversations become much more simplified. It's much easier to control. You only have so many emojis out there and they specifically mean certain things and you can control what that is and all of these kinds of things. It's, we're seeing all of this layout in real time and... Uh, Censorship does play a big role. I mentioned alternative social media platforms and alternative web hosting options is apparently a big uh, deal because look at something like Parler that got totally scrubbed because of their web hosting service. And so this is very important, but the idea back to the idea of a theocratic technocracy technocracy as a movement really started in the 20s and 30s and the idea was that it wasn't just a political movement and it really wasn't political at all it was all about managing the society on an economic and resource level, where you are controlling the resources that are produced, that are used, that are distributed. You're doing this in a sustainable way where everybody is taken care of in a roughly equal amount. No one's in need and no one is hoarding a bunch of extra stuff. And yes, this sounds just like wokeism that we're going through today, sustainable development. It's the exact same thing as technocracy. And the way you do this And this was written in the 20s and 30s. The way you do this is you have to be able to identify every single individual within the region that's being governed. Let's say the continent was usually what was being talked about back in that time, North America is a continent. But the idea is that you can identify every single person and you can identify every single transaction that they make, everything they buy, um, also everything they use, everything they throw away You can identify all of that because if you have that data, then you can make uh, educated decisions on how to decide how much to produce as far as resources are concerned and who to distribute them to and who is wasting it and who's using them efficiently and how to decide how to govern all of that on a macro level the only way to be able to do that is if you had all this data now obviously in the 20s and 30s this was not a very easy thing to do but in today's world we are seeing that play out more and more all about tracking and tracing and smart cities and rfid tags and all of these things this is what they were talking about in the 20s and 30s. This was their kind of utopia. And we don't have it right now, but we have the tools for it. And we are moving towards that. We are we are resetting our economic system, a new economic system, a new Bretton Woods movement, all of these things that are being said right now, as we speak, this is what's playing out. And we're going into this technocracy. And that's something that I've talked about for a while, where. You have experts who are in charge. Everyone trusts the experts. Everyone is looking to the experts. It's not necessarily the elected officials, it's people like Fauci and Bill Gates and the World Health Organization, the Rockefeller Foundation, John Hopkins. You know, you can go on and on and on. These are the people that people are actually looking to. And then behind the scenes, who has the power? Uh, things like big tech, heck, Twitter. And all of social media censored the president of the United States. Like, that's saying something. That's a big deal. Big tech has a lot of power. Council on Foreign Relations. I listened to a recent episode you did where you laid out the Council on Foreign Relations, the history, all that kind of stuff. And I've covered that as well. And they have a lot of power behind the scenes. Were they elected? No, no, definitely not. You can go back to the society of the elect kind of running things behind the scenes or the involvement of the Masons and Freemasonry. And there are all these different groups and people and all of these different sources of true power and influence and hardly any of them are elected And that's the idea of technocracy. It's these experts, but they no longer have to do it behind the scenes. They can do it out in the open. And society is now getting to the point where they're ready for that. They want an expert or a group of experts to make the decisions for the world, force everybody to do it so that we can save the world and stop climate change and end poverty and end death and all of this stuff, get rid of all disease, you know, all these wonderful rainbows and unicorns that everybody wants. That that is what things are moving towards. That's what people are looking for. And there's this idea that I've only recently gotten into. I didn't interview with Vin Armani recently, and we talked about his theory of the dim age and getting into social cycles and trends and all really, really cool, interesting stuff. If anyone listens to any of my stuff, listen to these current episodes I'm doing right now, because it's very important and very super interesting. But one of the things that's coming out of that is um, Vin talks a lot about the religion of the Church of Woke. And that's something that I hadn't really Put together yet because obviously, this social movement of being politically correct. I did an episode on our PC culture, and so that's something that I I knew about. But the idea that this is actually a religion, Uh, I've also done episodes on statism being a religion, and it is. But this new religion, the religion of the Church of Woke, is it's different, it is completely holistic, which is a pretty big deal, where it encompasses everything from economics to morality, it has an answer for things like biology and science and every single facet of your life and the way you think and philosophy, politics, all of it, all of it is tied together in this holistic way by the Church of Woke. They have, you know, their climate denomination and their denomination that's focused on poverty and third world countries and on Uh, gender equality, and all of these different things, critical race theory, and critical theory philosophy in general, and all of these different branches, but all tied together to this religion of wokeism. And so that, I would say, is the theocratic aspect of the technocracy. So obviously, from a structural point of view, we are headed to a much more technocratic, much more global rule. That is happening, and there's just not much more to say about that. That's that's as close to a fact as I can say about the future as I can come up with. But there's this aspect that that's the structural side of things, but behind it is this this religion of wokeism. Not a single one of those experts, not a single politician involved is going to be able to come out and say that being a homosexual is wrong or you were born with these body parts, therefore you are a man or anything like this, you can't go against the religion. You can't be a heretic and still be at that level. The Church of Woke, this religion, this morality controls everything. It controls all of these people. And if anyone breaks from that, Then they are completely deplatformed, censored, kicked out. Everything they believe is wrong and they're a heretic and no one should listen to them. We should fire them. We should erase all their records, you know, all this stuff. That's what society calls for. Because, you know, what do you expect if you lived in a Christian world, then someone to come out and say that Satan should be the king and, you know, diss everything about Christianity? what would you expect to happen to that person say a thousand years ago in some village that's a little more isolated? It wouldn't go well for them. And they definitely wouldn't be in a position of power in that village. And so the same is true today. We're we're heading into this theocratic technocracy and that's another thing where we get back to how do you fight this if you even can? Well, uh, number one, regardless of if you can fight it on a societal level or a macro level at all, you can fight it in your own individual life for your own individual family and maybe for a small community around you, without a doubt. That is something you can have an impact on and have control over. So that's number one, a very important thing there. But number two, if you were going to fight against this, you also need the same thing. If you're gonna fight a theocratic technocracy You need to fight it with something that's just as holistic and just as potent. And really, the only way to do that is, I would say, Christian agorism, where with agorism, you have the technology of blockchain and decentralized systems. You have the philosophy, the libertarian political philosophy. You've got the philosophy even of a more secular morality, you have anarcho-capitalism is a good thing that you can draw on here that's very closely related, even a lot of collectivist movements on the left that are more on the libertarian side and the agorist side, they would have a lot to bring in. You've got this very holistic approach, everything from economics to politics to philosophy, and you add in this aspect of Christianity, the kingdom of God, the church writ large the way it should be, not the way that it is, not pop Christianity and if you tie that in then all of a sudden you have the religious aspect the spiritual aspect the moral aspect you have the theocratic aspect and so you end up with your own sort of decentralized anarchist theocratic technocracy in a way and um, you still have a lot of the same things going on, but they're done in a way where you don't have elites running the show behind the scenes or in front of your face, and society isn't going crazy. And so if there was a way to fight that, I would say, even from this standpoint, that Christian agorism is the way to go. And it's just really interesting how it can encompass all of that. And even going back to the original church, that's how the church was supposed to be. Uh, John the Baptist came onto the scene preaching repentance and the kingdom of God. Jesus came out after being baptized and started preaching repentance, turn from your sins, repent, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, depending on the gospel and translation is near. He came out preaching the kingdom of God. That was his main message. Repentance in the kingdom of God, repentance in the kingdom of God. It's all about the kingdom of God. It's turn from your ways. It's here is a moral structure that we need to stick to. You need to live a righteous life and do what is right yourself in the way you treat others. You need to focus on love and that is the way you need to live. So you have that aspect. That's the repentance, the turning from your ways, the following this religion, so to say, but you also have the kingdom of God. And what is that? The, the earthly representation of that is the church. Uh, Jesus talked about how if someone was going to sue you, you settle things before you get to court and don't even go to court if you can help it in any way. Don't go through the court system. And later on, you get how do you handle disputes within the church even? You don't go to the courts. There is a a judicial uh, approach to how to deal with disagreements within the church that is clearly laid out in the New Testament Everything uh, from, yeah, from the court system to welfare. Uh, you don't have a welfare program by a state. You're not giving your money to Rome so that they can feed the poor. You are doing it yourself through your own individual action. You have that personal responsibility. And the church writ large, if you want a group, the corporate structure, the church is who is supposed to take care of that. That is the kingdom of God. It's full of God's ambassadors, his representatives. That's what Christians are supposed to be. And so that's a very holistic view. There even There's even economic theory in that, uh, economic theory that most anarcho-capitalists especially are not very fond of, because you get into the Church of Acts and uh, it's very communal and people giving up their things and sharing things in common. And I wouldn't say that's the only way to handle things, but there is this very communal aspect to the church. And you are to sacrifice and love one another and those that are in need. But also it's very individualistic that it is your individual responsibility to do these things. But the whole point here is if the church operated that way, then you don't need the state at all. There, there's nothing you need the state for. even defense. the original church was nonviolent. And so if they're going to stick with that, you could argue they needed the state for defense but, In reality, they were very willing to be martyrs for what they believed. And so there's that too. And if people today looked at the church, let's say Christians today, or people that call themselves Christians, whatever you want to call that, if they viewed the church, the church writ large, not their individual building they go to, not their specific denomination, but the kingdom of God, God's representatives on earth, the people that follow the teachings within the Bible, if those people viewed the church the same way they viewed their country, the same way they thought about patriotism, if they transferred that from the state, from their nation, from their political views and transferred it to the church and looked to the church to provide that void, that void that they're trying to fill, and they're trying to fill it with nationalism, patriotism, the state, whatever, if you actually put the church in that role, the world would be a totally different place. Without a doubt, America would be completely different. And that's actually what the Bible preaches. So I kind of feel bad calling all this Christian agorism. It's really just Christianity. But the term Christianity is so soiled and sounds so bad nowadays because people don't live it according to the way it was originally taught by Jesus, by the early church, by the disciples, and really just laying out their teachings is Christian decorism. It's All it is is what's being said right there. All it is is what Jesus preaches in the Sermon on the Mount. And so it's it's pretty simple from that perspective, but... We've just gone so far away from that, and Christianity is now so segmented in the sense that uh, you're not going to hear a preacher oftentimes, usually. You're not going to hear them talk about uh, everything involved with life and the world. Uh, Oftentimes, politics gets uh, highly avoided, and if they do touch on politics. It's very statist politics. And so that's, that's a bit of a problem. Uh, Christians today have their lives very segmented. You have your life at work, your life in the gym, your life with your friends, and your life at church on Sundays. And maybe you have some special time set aside in your life for prayer or devotions or reading the Bible or whatever else. But it's not it's not as infused as the religion of wokeism is, where these people that are woke in this sense, in this progressive, uh, neoliberal sense, it infuses their entire life. It is so holistic. Everything they do is filtered through this religion, through this idea of wokeism. What if Christians acted this way? And the point is they should act this way and they should have a corporate representation a grouping of people, a community that carries out these things within society, that's what the kingdom of God and the church are supposed to be. You have this idea in agorism of agorist cadres, and you have these small groups, very decentralized, but they can meet together and local agorist cadres can meet with each other and do things together and trade and barter and sell and help each other, defense, mutual aid, all of these things. It's that same model of the church. Again, all of it goes back to this is what the church is supposed to be. The kingdom of God is what Jesus preached and harped on over and over and over again. And that really is the only solution to the other theocratic technocracy that without a a doubt is headed our way right now, full steam ahead.
1: Absolutely, man. Wow. (laughs) You said a lot and it was great. It was fantastic. Yeah, Sorry, I got a little uh, carried away there. No, man, it was fantastic. I totally agree. And it's it's great to hear someone someone actually convey that in such a, a precise manner. And, and, you know, it's just, you're right, Christianity has been bastardized, uh, you know, by people inside Christianity, whether they were real Christians or not, or they just got caught up by, you know, worldly, you know, I think you said pop culture Christianity, which is you know basically something i've said b- before as well and 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 they've gotten so far away from what jesus really wanted the church to be the ecclesia to be and it's like uh, and then also you've had this this gnostic push like i haven't you know it's just unbelievable how the new age has uh uh expanded and their presence online is just unbelievable um but uh, and, and one thing i'll say not to get away from what you're talking about but as far as like the new age even with the even with q they had a real new age push to them and um i feel like you know they're promising this utopia but it's basically a utopia without um without god you know and uh, it's just never going to work. It's never going to work. That, that manly P hall, uh, you know, philosopher King utopia is never going to work because those people, all they always revert back to greed or they have to have the ideas, the ideas have to come from them. And so, uh, it always kind of, I don't know if it's jealousy, greed, lust, all all the above, it's just never going to work without God. So I think you're, 100 percent correct that's what the real church is supposed to be that's what the idea was uh, supposed to convey and that was what we were supposed to follow but you know we've strayed so far away and in in our pop culture you know of course the the propaganda 24 7 coming at us like a hundred thousand different ways now in the present age is just unbelievable and i think a lot of people have just gotten lost in it and they don't know where to go they don't know what is you know which is the right direction what they do what's real what's not real you know it's it's just a crazy crazy time to be alive
0: yeah definitely there's there's something there that it's really hit me recently you you talk about how you've got this new age view and the gnostic type interpretation of things and and there is a movement towards spirituality. This is something that I've talked about recently about how you've got these shifts throughout history of things being more material or sensate or whatever you want to call it, um, focused on facts and logic and material things, this type of stuff. And then societies tend to shift. They tend to get mixed and then get fully into a more mystical or immaterial or ideational perspective. And that's kind of what dominates the cultural trends, so to say. And that's what we're shifting into today, which would be why things like charts and graphs and facts and logic that you present to people will not convince them. If you tell people about the COVID vaccine and you explain to them, well, it's actually not a vaccine at all. What do you think a vaccine is? Oh, you get a portion of the virus and your body fights it off and you can't catch it. Well, no, it doesn't do any of that stuff. It's actually mRNA and it tells your body to do these certain things and manipulates how your body's going to fight off this virus and you're still going to catch it. You're just not going to get as extreme symptoms but you know most people that get the shot will actually have symptoms even though most people that get covid will not have symptoms and you can show them the charts and the graphs and the risks and all these things they don't care in a way it's i don't it's it's hard to understand but but really that's not going to win them over same thing with with masks if you show somebody the scientific studies that show that wearing a cloth mask actually increases the rates of infection. Now, there are ways to use masks to stop the spread of viruses. But you need to use them properly within the proper context. And there is a way to do that. We know this. Scientifically, there are facts here. There is logic and reason. There is a way to do that. That is not what is being done today. You can prove that to someone up and down with so many different studies and charts and graphs and numbers and all these things. It will not win any argument. They, they will not be converted. They might even totally agree with you, and then they'll turn around and put on their mask and go get their vaccine. And so what works is something that is more immaterial, something that's more spiritual, that's more mystical, because that's the age that we are entering into. And so if you, uh, I'm in the South, and so we're in the Bible Belt. And uh, this is an example that resonates pretty well here, where if you tell somebody that the vaccine is the mark of the beast and tell them why, they will not touch it with a 10-foot pole. You got it. You won that argument within seconds. That wasn't hard at all. And people understand that. People resonate with that. But again, facts and logic, they don't. And so this is the world that we're entering into. And with that, with it being a much more immaterial world, a much more spiritual world, a mystical perspective, there is this shift towards the mystical, the immaterial, um, the magical, and magic in the sense of things you can't really explain in detail, things like technology or genetics, these types of things. It's, It's not about the material. It's not about the thing itself. It's not about the person, what it means to be human biologically. It's about transhumanism. It's about changing what it means to be human. It's defining what it means to be human by your ideas. It's ideational. And that's that's this movement. And we're, we're in the middle of this, uh, probably at the beginning of this. And uh, for me, like being able to recognize this, it's really only been in the past probably year, maybe year and a half at the most that I've really started to see how this is playing out and how these trends play forward and actually seeing it play out since COVID hit, it's been very obvious. Once you realize these things, once you can see things through this lens, a lot of this becomes extremely obvious and you can point it out in so many different examples. But uh, going back to this idea of the the new age spirituality you know so many people are spiritual now it's it's not that they're christian or buddhist or hindu or whatever they're not religious but they're spiritual and it's like what the heck does that mean and when you really nail it down people are oriented around this mystical mindset, this spiritual immaterial mindset, that's what they're looking for. There's this void. We could say that there is a God-shaped hole within everybody. Everybody wants to understand uh, the meaning of life. Everybody wants to be a part of something bigger than themselves. Everybody wants to actually have a way to determine what is right and wrong, what is ethical, what is moral. And the previous material age said that there is no such thing as morality. There's no such thing as truth. Truth is relative. And so you're missing aspects of that. The Church of Woke is providing answers, but Christianity provides answers to that too. And a really interesting thing that's really hit home with me just in the past few weeks is I recorded an interview with Van Armani. I I referenced it just a minute ago, but um, with that, I recorded the whole thing. And it's like, 3 hours long or something and i sent that entire thing to four friends that i have that i know that are like minded they would all call themselves agorist and as far as i know none of them are professing christians but a lot of them have some sort of christian exposure in their background and so I sent them this interview and I got feedback from them all. Now, one person basically just sent like a one sentence thing. Oh, great interview. I liked it a lot. You know, that kind of stuff. But the rest of them, the other three wrote a little bit more And every single one of them pointed out that the talk about spirituality and prayer, which I was surprised that even came up in our interview, that it really, we kind of got in depth about spirituality and prayer. And that was kind of surprising to me just within that context in general, but The fact that three out of four people specifically said, people that aren't active Christians are specifically saying that this talk about spirituality and prayer, that really hit home with me. I want to be a part of that. I want to learn how to do that myself. This is what these people are telling me. And so this is what resonates with people. This is the hole that people have. This is what's missing. It's this spiritual aspect, which is why things like, Gnostic religions and Gnostic views and the new age views and the new age cults and all these things, as well as the religion of wokeism. This is why these things are so effective and are really blowing up right now and why they have, they've really infiltrated like so many different movements, so many different things, so many different segments of our culture. And it's because People are looking for this. This type of thing, this spirituality, this immaterial aspect of life is really resonating with people right now. That is something that we are shifting into as a culture, and that is something that we can provide, but this is something I'm really wrestling with right now, is that it's hard for people... To get on board with Christianity, especially because of what they know of Christianity. They know cultural Christianity, pop Christianity. They know what they hear about on the radio or see on the news where XYZ pastor was, you know, molesting kids or this one was stealing money from the church, or you know, they're Friend at work goes to church and then comes to work and steals from the company or, you know, cusses every other word and talks bad about everybody behind their back and, you know, all these kinds of things. And so that's what people see as Christianity because, again, we are ambassadors. We are representatives of God. How else is anybody going to see God unless they talk to him directly other than Christians? And when they look at Christians, it doesn't look so good. And so the idea of spirituality sounds a lot better than this corrupt Christianity that they see. And so uh, that's one thing that that Vin specifically pointed out and that he mentioned, and I don't even know if he would call himself Christian or not, and that's part of the struggle here, but but he talks about personal prayer and how big of a role that has played in his own life and basically direct connection with what he refers to as the Most High God. And he talks about the Trinity and this kind of stuff and knows his Bible. So very well, maybe Christian in that respect. I don't know. It's not my role to judge. But this aspect of interacting with God directly on one hand is great. This idea of having a personal relationship with God through Jesus, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that is a wonderful perspective to have, but it can be very dangerous when you are the one deciding what that means based on your feelings, based on these messages you are getting from the spiritual realm, based on these types of things and not based on something like scripture or the church. And so unfortunately, the church is probably not one you can rely on in a lot of cases. And scripture is something that, It's hard for an individual who does not have the background, the education, the cultural perspectives to interpret what the scriptures say. It's hard for that individual to really get it. The New Testament isn't as hard, at least. But still, I mean, you're not going to get as much just being a common person and reading on your own. But you can get stuff out of that. Versus what if you just go out into the desert and fast and meditate and pray for 10 hours and then see what messages you get. You know, to me that's very dangerous. But that is that spirituality. Again, it's not Christianity. It, it could be, it could be. There are times when that could be but a very dangerous Christianity, I would argue. And so that would be the role that uh, Christians which what should be Christians um, really have to play in today's world and I believe that there is an opportunity for real Christianity to have a major influence and impact in all of this because, again, it's a a theocratic technocracy we are heading into. It's an age of mysticism and the immaterial and redefining reality and Christianity, true Christianity has a holistic view of what this means and the context of it and how we can actually apply it in our everyday life, all of these things. And so I am really hoping that that this is something that takes hold, that takes off. And that that's my hope. And I, I think that there is hope here. I have more hope now than I did a year ago because of everything I just laid out. but the majority of the world is probably still going to be on board with the Church of Woke, and that is the reality we live in. So navigating that is kind of the biggest difficulty that I think we all have right now, especially with the rate of change in our culture, with the great reset, with COVID, with, you know, Trump, and then going from Trump to Biden, what a major shift, you know, Trump was a major shift in and of himself and all of these things, think the political parties are gonna have some major crises coming up. And so this is something that we have to navigate. How do we navigate this more immaterial culture and the church of woke, this new religion, this new governance structure? How do we navigate all these things as uh, Christians. And uh, you know, I'm a Christian at least, so I'm speaking for myself at least, but even just as agorists, as non-statists, how in the world do you navigate that? And so I believe that Christian agorism provides answers and a roadmap and schematics for how you can navigate that and how you can understand that. And that's kind of the message that I am now trying to get out there. That's, that's kind of my new crusade here. And, and that's the one that I'm really harping on. And that's the one that I believe has the most hope in our current climate, and our current culture.
1: I, th- I think you're right, man. I think you're dead on. And, you know, I kind of think like Christianity is kind of like the, the real Christians have almost went underground. And I think, Almost everybody I've had on, well, everybody I've had on so far, except for this guy named Legal Man, who's a brilliant guy, but everybody else are Christians, but they wouldn't fit into the normal Christian mold. And they're speaking a gap, you know, they're speaking out against heresies and pop culture Christianity or churchianity or whatever you want to call it. And I think that uh, the real Christians are really kind of, uh, I don't know, they're kind of like fringe almost and uh, now is a more important time than ever for them to really be setting themselves apart from the you know the pop culture Christians and um, I know like I, I've been and I'm taking forever to do it but I've been working on this uh, probably like two podcasts I'll do kind of like exposing the lies of zeitgeist and Jordan Maxwell and I know that Chris White and some great other people have done that like 10 years ago, but I know there's this, I know there's this new audience that has no idea because I see all the uh, new age people online uh, and I talk to them all the time on like Instagram and stuff like that. Um, And I got this book from Manly P. Hall. Uh, I don't want to be long winded, but I'll I'll finish this up quickly. Uh, And it's like um, how to understand your Bible. And I've read a couple of, Uh, manly p hall's other books on freemasonry and uh, i like to read these people because i want to know where they're coming from so i'll know how to combat what they say and and and, you know i honestly i wanted to know what they actually believed so i could kind of figure it out myself even though i am a christian um i just wanted to know the truth you know and uh so i realized Jordan Maxwell basically copies everything that Manly P. Hall said. Manly P. Hall says basically everything in the Bible is an allegory. And that's kind of like one of the go-tos for people who were, you know, Freemasons, Gnostics, Rosicrucians, Theosophists, all that whole deal. And it's like, I've read enough of their stuff now to understand that they claim, you know, everything in the Bible is an allegory. And then pretty soon they'll tell you, you know, You can astral project your way out of whatever situation. And the next thing you know, they're telling you that there's no such thing as reality, you know. And it's like there's really no end to anything they say. And they can make any allegory they want, any connection they want. They don't have to go by any set of rules or anything like that. And it's kind of like that kind of goes to me along with the horoscope, too. A lot of people who follow the Zodiac and the horoscope they can make all kinds of connections. There's no real way to say, well, you can't do that. Uh, you know, there's no set really boundaries or anything like that. And so when people don't know anything about Christianity, they don't know a lot about life, they fall for these things hook, line and sinker. And, and with, you know, they don't really have to, with not new agey kind of concepts, they don't have to, uh, really follow any guidelines. They don't have to worry about sin or anything like that because that, you know, all those, basically all those uh, beliefs, sins is not even a thing really, unless maybe you're hurting someone, they may see that as a sin and they probably call it something else. So, you know, it's really interesting how they've really um, kind of like impenetrated the, the world and Christianity and, and pulled so many people in but there's no end to their BS, if you ask me, because they can say anything and say, well, that connects to my beliefs. So it's, it's a hard fight to, 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 you know, to battle against them. But uh, anyway, I love what you said, man. It's just, I really appreciate you being on and uh, can I'm Can so I excited. interject
0: one more thing though? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Okay. absolutely.
0: You mentioned how Christians like us and people you've talked to don't really fit in in the modern church and that kind of stuff. We probably look crazy and sound crazy. Um, to give a few personal stories of hope within the past like week, um, again, going back to that interview that I did and I sent it to a few people, another person that I sent it to was my pastor at my local church. And he probably would be more open to libertarian philosophy than most people, especially most statist and Bible Belt in the South, but. Yeah, he definitely is not, um, let's say, woke from our perspective. And so I sent him that interview just to get his opinion and get some advice on how to address a few specific things. He did listen to it, and he basically said that that was very insightful, that he really enjoyed it, and he was like, where do I listen to more of your episodes? (laughs) And so there was a desire there by my mainstream pastor for um, figuring, or I guess looking more into that. And then also, I've got a small group that I meet with within my local church, and it's just a few families, and... We had a meeting the other night, and one of the guys was specifically talking about how uh, basically he's come to the realization that that basically politics is crap. And I don't remember how exactly (laughs) he described it, but that basically it's all a mess. It's all corrupt. And one of the other guys, who's an older, I would say very wise Christian, but definitely a statist, I will say that, but he even talked about how Trump specifically was so obviously not a Christian and a representation of God in the Bible, and how damaging that is, and how evangelical Christians, you know, probably in quotes, were so supportive of Trump, the church was so supportive of Trump, but he was obviously, you know, a fraud from that perspective, and he was a fool. He was, you know, all the things (laughs) you could say about Trump that are not, you know, the, the good Christian man. And so both of these people in my small group were talking about how basically there's not really any hope in politics that the church shouldn't be putting so much focus on politics, that Christians shouldn't fall for these kinds of things. And maybe the disaster of Trump might wake some people up to this stuff. And I guess they probably just assume that a Democrat, you know, no Christian would ever go for them and just take Biden as an assumption there. But I'm sure the same is true on the left. There are Christians on the left. And so, yeah, that there is some hope there of mainstream Christians that are seeing the craziness that is modern reality and modern politics, and they are recognizing that this is not where we should have our hope. This is not biblical. These are not Christians. This is not where we need to focus. And uh, again, that's coming from very mainstream Bible Belt Christians and so I'm seeing it from the you know non-Christian agorists and from the status Christians in my local church. They are both recognizing this need for something different, something much more, much more similar to pure Christianity, original Christianity. So I would say that. There's hope on both sides. Both sides are looking and they're seeking and they are open to these things. So I've been really encouraged about that just, just in the past week even from those personal experiences that I've had.
1: That's fantastic. That's great to hear, man. I, I actually had dinner with a friend last night, him and his wife. And um, he's what I believe to be a true Christian. He was a Marine uh, in Fallujah, two tours of Iraq. Um, and he, he's really seen some action, but he's very conservative and I've been friends with him now for a couple of years. And I've been kind of, you know, etching, (laughs) etching at him a little bit at a time to try to maybe, uh, talk to him about, uh, you know, statism and, and the way I think anyway, you know, he, he's a grown man. He can think whatever he wants, but, uh, he, he said to me last night, we have a mutual friend who's really into Q, you know, and he's like, wow. I mean, he was bought and sold into it and um, good guy though. But, but, but just that aspect of his life, he just got caught up in it and he, but he told me, he said, look, man, I realized the other night um, when I met with our friend who is really into Q, he, he told me, he said, I've been had, I've been, you know, it was all a lie and um, I can't believe that I fell for it. And then uh, my friend was like, "Well, I think so too." And uh, I realized now that uh, you know we we were duped. It was it was propaganda, and that uh, you know Trump was maybe even you know a controlled opposition to divide the people, and uh, you know, and that that's debatable, of course. But
0: uh, knowingly or unknowingly, he played that it, it, role.
1: Exactly. Exactly. So uh, it was refreshing to, to hear these guys. They're smart guys, both of them are, but uh, it was refreshing to hear him say, you know, I think that I've been had. And and, and I think that it, my hope is that more people will react like that and they won't become nihilists because I know a lot of people like in the Ron Paul days, a lot of people became real nihilists. And that's OK uh, to to an extent. But I think that if you push it too far and just think that everything is a sham, it can be real negative in your life. So I hope that more people will just listen to shows like yours and uh, maybe even mine and, and, and really study the history and see why and how we got to where we are today and how we can possibly avoid it in the future.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm with you on all that.
1: Fantastic, man. Well, thank you so much for uh, being on here. This was a real pleasure. Um, Would you mind giving us your, your links and your information so people can find you?
0: Yeah, definitely. So if people are interested, my main thing is just the podcast. It's the Our Foundations podcast, and that can be found on any podcast player, or you can go to ourfoundations.podbean.com. And that's where I have my own website where you can stream directly or download or whatever. And that's, that's mainly it. That's where I direct people. I am on Twitter. I am not a very dominant force on Twitter, but I'm there. I do send out some messages. I'll send episode announcements. And there's some funny memes I might send out or quotes or whatnot. So if you're interested in that, you can add me on there. But the main thing is the podcast. And uh, kind of like what you said, I just think it's really important that people do educate themselves, that they do learn in the areas that they are lacking. We're all lacking in some areas. So, you know, maybe you don't need to listen to my whole show in its entirety, even though that's what I'd recommend. That's how it's designed to be. But but still, figure out the sections that you don't know and learn about them. And if it's not my show, then maybe yours. Or if it's not yours, maybe somebody else's. But, but get this information. And I would encourage people to make some changes in your life no matter how small to shift towards taking action on these things and i think that's something that we really need to focus on as well as be aware that a lot of the types of things that people like us are looking into will be wrapped under the same umbrella as domestic terrorism within the next few years so Uh, Just a heads up there. If you are into libertarian philosophy or conspiracy theories, or if you got wrapped up in the Q thing, or whatever, if you talk about the Fed, or, you know, the globalist agenda, or use some of these keywords, uh, that is not going to be looked upon very favorably by the Church of Woke. And there probably will be a lot more coming down the pike of censorship and things like this. So, those would be the things that I would definitely highlight for people in closing. And thank you very much for having me on. I really enjoyed talking about all this stuff. I'm sure you can tell I'm, I'm really into it. It's something I, I have a passion for, especially lately, really digging into these different aspects. And I think it's really important. It's a very timely for our current culture and the current shifts going on. And it's something that everybody really needs to, take a break from what you're doing and learn these things right now because they are important.
1: Man, that's, you're, you're very inspirational. And and like, I don't know, man, I I really appreciate it so much. I think that people now more than ever, you know, basically what you just said, but now more than ever, people need to learn these things. And uh, a lot of people that may not necessarily lean libertarian or ANCAP or, uh agor- agorism you know <laughs> um they they may lean more old school what they you deem as conservative patriot or whatever but really patriotism has been changed too it, it doesn't the the definition of patriotism originally is not what you have today it's statism you know patriotism is statism nowadays And so if you really want to rebel (laughs) against your government, if you really want to to be a rebel in your life, then you will just basically try and do as many things as you can to be outside your government and outside this multinational corporation uh, cadre, as, as I talked about, and do things on your own and make yourself more sustainable and make yourself more independent. because no one else is going to do it for you. And the government wants you as dependent as possible uh, because they need that to stay strong. So their strength is our weakness. And uh, you know, so thank you so much, man. And I I hope that we stay in touch and I'll definitely, I would love to have you on again here in a couple of months. And one more thing real quick. Uh, Last time I talked to you, you said you were perhaps writing a book. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. I <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely working on a book and I've I've got a lot of it done actually, but it's one of those things where it like keeps expanding. And so like, there was going to be kind of a brief introductory background section on uh, technocracy and these historical shifts and patterns and things. And uh, that turned into what might end up being its own book separately. I bumped it to the end of the book, and now I'm even considering doing a separate book. But the main section is just about, uh, I I would say, real Christianity from a perspective of politics-ish, maybe political philosophy in a sense, and definitely taking that non-statist approach about how the original view of Christianity, the teachings of Jesus and the disciples and the early church, how this was anarchist, really, how it was agorist, and talking Mm -hmm. about these different ideas, laying that out, laying out the history, the themes as far as like mosaic law, where you have a governance system directly set up by God, with no centralized government whatsoever. (laughs) And you have things like when the Israelites ask for a king and he says, this is a rejection of me asking for a man to rule over you. And, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these different examples that are really obvious, they're in there, everybody's read them, if you have read the Bible at all, but they don't click. And I'm putting all those things together um, and laying out this argument for, I guess I would say our perspective of how a true Christian would view the state and the political realm. And again, it's not about rebelling. It's not about starting a movement in that sense, but it is about starting a movement in another sense, in this sense that we've talked about today. And so I kind of lay all that stuff out, and then I go through some of the Old Testament examples specifically from scripture, and then the final section is basically commentary on all of the main passages about the state and government so i'm doing the sermon on the mount i'm doing uh i think it's first timothy as a section and second peter and you know definitely romans 13 but i'll probably do 12 through 14 and it'll be like straight up commentary well i'll do a few verses and i'll do actual commentary on that but from a perspective of how does the Christian view political theory? How do we view the state? How do we apply this morality and this teaching to how the state operates or how we should operate under and within the state and within the system and these types of things? And so uh, that's what I'm working on. I'm actually, I I think I'm somewhere... I, I don't think I've made it to the Sermon on the Mount. I think I just finished the Temptations. I guess I'm in the Beatitudes. So yeah, beginning of Sermon on the Mount for the commentary section, and I've got the rest done. And so that that's a good chunk, but you know, it still might be quite a while. But you know, when I do get that done, I will reach out to you. Maybe you'll let me promote on your show. And I think it would definitely be a resource that a lot of your listeners would be really interested in. And I think it's going to be a really good one if, you know, well, when I finally get that finished (laughs) up and get that out
1: there absolutely man absolutely i know that my listeners would be interested and i would for sure be interested as well so awesome man well thank you once again and you have a wonderful night and like i said man stay in touch please
0: all right well that's that sounds wonderful i'd love to come back on at some point and thanks for
1: having me yeah man thank you talk to you soon
0: all right bye
1: bye And that was it, my interview with Joshua from the Our Foundations podcast. I hope you really enjoyed that. I know I did. I got a lot out of that. In fact, I think I want to go back and listen to what he was saying once again. Please check out his content. And, of course, I will put his links in my show notes. Uh, Nothing really new in my world except I did start a Patreon. And that is patreon.com slash theoddmanout. So check that out. I'm going to be putting stuff on there that's not available anywhere else. I keep getting censored on Instagram and Facebook. And it's just a matter of time, I'm sure, before they kick us off. So you can get videos on there. You can get long-form blog posts. I'm going to be doing that at least one or two videos a week and just share things with you that I wouldn't normally share on Instagram because I'm really having to watch what I say and what I do. Anyway, I appreciate you listening. As always, if you like the show, please, please share it. And also, if you want to give me a good review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this show, then please do. Other than that, I think the only thing I got to say is, remember, their order is not our order. See you next time.